0: Hey y'all. This is Pastor Danny here. Um, Sunday morning I recorded the audio of our sermon, uh like I normally do on my iPhone and uh Sunday morning I I wanted to move around a little bit more and so I uh I put my phone in my pocket uh to try and uh record the audio as I moved around and um it turns out that was a terrible idea. <laughs> Um, I uh, tried to listen to a little bit of it later, and there was so much rustling and uh, and popping, and um, and it was just uh, just very distracting, and so um, and so that audio wasn't very usable. But I did want to have something uh, for those of you that weren't able to make it to church uh, on Sunday morning, and so this is going to be the sort of Monday morning, um, sitting uh, at the at the table with my cup of coffee, devotional version of uh, of Sunday morning sermon. Um, so uh, I'm sorry it's not the full treatment, um, but uh, but I wanted to give you something. So here you go, uh, the devotional remix. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Exodus. Uh, the 32nd chapter, verses 1 through 14. Hear now the word of our Lord. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with the tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought up out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people." Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning. By the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. So, uh, <laughs> what you missed on Sunday morning was your pastor in a uh, sort of a Bob the Builder gig up with the whole uh, yellow uh, construction worker hat and a hammer. And uh, we actually had a, uh, <laughs> a, a giant a golden cap set up. It was made out of cardboard and, uh, and covered with, uh, with um, gold paper. And, uh, and I showed uh, the congregation um, using uh, this passage um, how to build your own idol and uh obviously, I can't give you that visual right now, but uh when you look at this passage, you do see the steps that the Israelites took to build their own idol, and they're the same steps that I believe we take in our own lives uh to um to engage in idolatry and the first step is it begins with panic. the people uh Panicked, they, they freaked out. They didn't know what to do. You see, Moses had been up on Mount Sinai for 40 days. Moses was 80 years old at the time. And the people, um, not knowing when Moses was going uh, to come down, um, not knowing how long he was supposed to be gone, started to panic. They started to worry that, uh, that Moses wasn't coming back that Moses had died. And um, for the people, uh, for the Hebrews, Moses was their sole connection to God. See, God would speak to Moses on a mountain and Moses would come down and speak to the people. And so because they thought they had lost Moses, they thought they had lost their connection with God. And so the people panicked. Um, they didn't know what to do. They thought God was gone and here they were in the wilderness. And so they go to Aaron and they ask Aaron to make them a new God. And uh, they say, give us a God who will go before us. In other words, give us a, a physical God that we can see. They stop trusting in God's timing and uh, they stop trusting in the presence of the invisible God and they panic and this is where their idolatry starts you know for us I believe that's where our idolatry starts too, it's when we start to be afraid, when we start to doubt God's presence when we start to think God has, has, has moved on uh, the panic sets in, and that's that's uh, the root of idolatry. And so, the second step they take to uh, building their idol is they um, lay a foundation of confusion and forgetfulness. You see, um, in this passage, the uh, the Hebrew people come up to Aaron, and they say, in uh, in verse one, they say, "Come, make us gods who will go before us." And as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So did you catch that? They say this fellow Moses who has brought us up out of Egypt. This fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt. You see, they've taken, they've taken God's role in their story and they put Moses in God's place. You see, God was the one that delivered them from Egypt. God was the one who, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, led them across a parted sea. God was the one who was providing for them in the wilderness. God was the one that gave them the law on Mount Sinai. This was all God's work. And in their 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 panic. They become confused and they forget what God has done for them, right? And so they've taken God out of their story and they've replaced God with a man, Moses. You know, you and I do the same thing. When we become panicked, uh, we we start we start to become confused and we start to forget what God has done for us. And we write God out of our stories. And this is where idolatry starts with us. Right? We start to say, we start to replace God with with human beings. Like our pastor. My pastor did this for me. My pastor was here when I needed him. We can replace God with politicians and celebrities. But most often... We replace God in our narrative with ourselves. And we keep saying it and saying it and saying it until we're so confused and forgetful that we believe it. And so then we're ready for step three. And step three, uh, building an idol, is probably the most crucial. This step is to compromise. You see, the people come to Aaron and they say, Build us an idol, make us a God who will go before us, and Aaron says, sure. Aaron compromises. Now, I think there's a there's a couple reasons why we compromise. There's a couple things, a couple lies we tell ourselves that help us to compromise. And the first one is we tell ourselves we have no choice. We have no choice. In Aaron's case, you know, he was probably telling himself, hey, these people, uh, if, if I don't do what they tell me to do, they're going to kill me. They'll probably kill me, and then they'll build an idol anyway. I really have no choice. Of course, that's not true. Do the right thing or die. Is a choice. It may not be the kind of choice we like. It may not be the easy kind of choice, but it's a choice. The other lie we tell ourselves to compromise is it doesn't matter. We tell ourselves it doesn't matter. No one's going to notice. No one really cares if I do this. No, if I skim a little off the top. No one will see that it's missing. It doesn't really matter. And then the uh, the final lie I think we tell ourselves in order to compromise is, "I'll fix it later." I'll fix it later. You know, uh, I'll take a little money out of the pot. I'll take a cookie out of the cookie jar. But later, I'm going to come back and I'm going to put it back. You know, I'll make this compromise right now, but later, when I'm in a stronger position, I'll make it right. And you know the story. Later never comes. I'll bet that Aaron, and his heart of hearts, really, really believed that Moses was going to come back down from that mountain. And when Moses came back down from that mountain, you know, he was going to convince the people that, that uh that the Lord was God all this time, that they were going to turn away from their idolatry and everything was going to be made right again. And so he was able to compromise by telling himself, you know, I'll just, I'll fix it later. Like me, you were probably uh, reading and watching with horror this week as we uh, learned about... um, about harvey weinstein and uh, and how this rich mogul in Hollywood was able to victimize woman after, woman after woman after woman after woman for twenty almost thirty years, he was able to do it, he was able to perpetrate this evil because of all the compromises the people around him were willing to make. They had somehow convinced themselves that they had no choice. That that their decisions really didn't matter, that it would all be fixed later. And so they compromised. They became enablers. They became part of a corrupt system that allowed evil to happen. And yeah, it happens in Hollywood, but it also happens in our own workplace. It also happens in our own homes. It also happens in our own hearts. So once we've compromised, step four becomes really easy for us. And step four of building your own idol is realigning your values. Realigning your values. Taking your values that were once right side up and turning them upside down. You see, when the people fashioned an idol out of gold and into a calf, they were saying something. A calf in the ancient world was a symbol of power and violence and domination. And gold was a symbol of status and wealth then as it is today. And so they were expressing values that were antithetical to to what God had taught them and what God had instilled in them. They They were now parading the values of power, wealth, and violence. And you and I can be just as guilty in our lives of cherishing the wrong values of choosing the wrong symbols to submit ourselves to. Think of our allegiance to our political parties. Think of our allegiance to our hobbies. Think of our allegiance to charismatic leaders. Think of our allegiance to our homes and our sense of security. Think of our allegiance to the almighty dollar. See, we are just as capable today of chasing after the wrong symbols. We are just as capable today of realigning our values. And once we've realigned our values, then step five becomes really easy for us. Step five do what you want. Uh, The the scripture says, the people engaged in revelry. (laughs) And revelry means exactly what you think it means. It means, if it feels good, do it. If it makes you happy, do it. If it gives you power, do it. If it makes you richer, do it. Do what you want. If it makes you feel holier and superior, do it. Hate who you want. Because at the end of the day, your idol doesn't care. At the end of the day, the cow don't care. You see, when you build an idol, you've got a God who will watch over you with silent approval. No matter what you decide to do. So that leads us to step six. Step six. This idol you've created. And this is important. This idol that you've created. Now you call it God. You label it God. See this is crucial. This, this, this makes your idol challenge-proof when you label it God. And, and Aaron did the same thing. Uh, he, uh, he declared the next day after they created the idol, he declared it a festival to the Lord, a festival to Yahweh. He named this, this abomination, this idol, God. And when we do that, when we call this creation of our hands, this, this creation of our mind, when we call it God, then we make it challenge-proof. If someone, if someone tries to tell us that we're wrong, if someone tries to, to challenge our motives, if someone tries to tell us that, 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 that what we're doing is unacceptable, then we can just point to the idol and say, God told me to. God told me to. To hate these people. God told me to behave this way. God told me to do these things. And so now, our idol is complete. See how easy it is? See how we can just go from panic to confusion and forgetfulness? See how all it takes is just just one compromise and suddenly our values have been flipped upside down and suddenly we've given ourselves permission to do what we want and suddenly we've perverted the name of God. See, building your idol is the easiest thing in the world. But you know what's easier than that? Dismantling your idol, dismantling your idol only has one step. I'm going to get to that in a second, but first, let's uh, revisit um, this passage. So I'm looking at exodus thirty two starting with verse seven, and this is when um, this is when God tells Moses what's going on down at the foot of the mountain. See, God has seen uh, the people and their idolatry, and he's upset. And this is what God says to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and have made themselves an idol cast into shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it, and sacrificed to it, and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. See, God is so angry with the people. And, uh, and he's threatening to, to destroy the people and to start all over again. To start all over again with with one man like he did with Abraham. To start all over again with Moses. But Moses intervenes on the people's behalf. And he says, uh, verse 11, But Moses sought the favor of his God. O Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt? With great power and a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say, It was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I will give your descendants all the land I promised them, and I will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord, relenting, did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. So, looking at this passage, it sure does seem like Moses has to, call, has to talk God down from the ledge. Right? It seems like Moses is, that, that God is so burning with anger, he wants to destroy the people, and that Moses has to convince him not to. But I think there's something else going on here. I don't think God is, 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 is as fickle as this passage suggests. I think uh, God is leading Moses to do something really important. See, the way Moses responds to God's threat is to remind him, to remind him of who he is, to remind God of his commitments to his people. He says, Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? In other words, remember, you are these people's God. You delivered them. And then he reminds uh, God of his promise to, to the forefathers. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember what you did for them. Remember the promises you made for them. And I kind of believe that in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in getting Moses to talk him down from the ledge, God is actually guiding Moses through the process of remembering. See that one step, if you want to dismantle your idol this morning, the one step is to remember. Remember. Remember what God has done for you. Remember who it was in the beginning that actually saved you. Remember who it was that delivered you from the power of sin and death. Remember what your life looked like before God intervened in it. That is how you dismantle your idol. By remembering God's true nature. By remembering who God really is. That's why every uh, every first Sunday... We, um, we gather together for communion because Jesus Christ said, do this as often as you do this in remembrance of me. When we take the bread and we take the cup, we remember. A lot of people think the opposite of the word remember is to forget. The opposite of remember is dismember. Dismember. When we when we set up an idol, we are dismembering God. We are taking Him apart in our mind and in our heart. And when we remember, we are putting Him back together. When we remember, we are putting the pieces back together. We are remembering who God really is, what God's true nature is like there's a story of uh one of the desert fathers um these uh these people in the uh the third century that went out into the wilderness uh to be alone with god and this desert father has a group of disciples around him and uh the group of disciples have been to town and um they've seen something pretty amazing and they can't wait to tell uh Tell uh, their the the desert father about it, and so they uh they 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 come back uh to the wilderness and they say, oh, Father, Father, we've seen something amazing. Uh, we've seen a man who is so miraculous he can walk on water. And the desert father says, "So, that's no big deal. That's that's no miracle. Frogs and mosquitoes walk on water all the time. And." Uh, so, uh, a little while later, um, the uh, disciples return to the Desert Father and they say, Father, 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 we've seen a man who is so miraculous, so holy, that, that when he prays, when he closes his eyes, he starts to float and he levitates in the air. A man so holy, he can fly. And the Desert Father says, That's, uh, that's not impressive, that's not holy. Birds and butterflies fly all the time. Still later, the disciples return to the Desert Father and say, Father, Father, we have seen a man who is so amazing that uh, he can disappear in one town and uh, and instant later reappear in another town miles away. And uh, the Desert Father says, That's not so amazing, the devil himself can do that that's no proof of holiness and the desert father looks at his disciples and he says to them a truly miraculous man is one who can remember god and all things you see remembering god is the true miracle in our lives if you and i in the fog of our lives if you and i when things get really complicated when when things get really hard for us if we can remember who god is and what god is like and we can hold on to that when we're when we're Faced with with the opportunity to compromise. With the opportunity to realign our values. With the opportunity to just do what we want. If we can remember who God is. And what God is like. Idolatry won't take root in our hearts. That is a true miracle. Remembering God in all things. You see... A culture that tries to tell us that God is power and wealth and violence. But we must remember that God has crucified love. We must remember that God is a God who pours himself out for humanity. When, when the culture tells us to compromise, to realign our values, to do what we want, we have to remember that Jesus Christ was obedient. Philippians tells us, even to death, death on a cross. He always stood up for what was right. When, when, when the devil offered him everything else, he needed to be the messiah everything he needed to be the king of this earth and all he had to do was 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 to bow down jesus refused to compromise scripture tells us that when he was on the cross he could have he could have uh, called down legions of angel, angels to rescue him but he refused to compromise And when the confusion and the forgetfulness and the panic sets in, when we're afraid, we need to remember that not only did Jesus endure the suffering and the death on the cross, he overcame it. That he lives. That he rose from the grave three days later and that he's with us now. He promises never to leave us orphaned. He promises to be with us to the end of the age. Remember. If you want to dismantle your idol this morning, simply remember. So that's the challenge I would leave you this morning. uh, As I sit here at... uh, My kitchen table with a cup of coffee. I'll just challenge you to remember. Remember what God did for you. Remember how he first saved you. Remember what it felt like. Because that same God is waiting to smash your idols this morning. That same God is waiting to take his place in the throne room of your heart. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.